Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to Surviving My Podcast. A survivor podcast about living with dissociation, anxiety, and PTSD in support of all who have survived the trauma of abuse. Join me as we heal together, raise awareness, and inspire everyone to survive, thrive, and conquer their past. Welcome back to Surviving My Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm super stoked to have you back here for another edition of the show right here on the Survivor Airwaves. I appreciate you joining. Um, always appreciate the support uh, and the encouragement that you guys all give. Um, if you are a first-time listener, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. Glad you found me. And uh, hopefully this show will validate and encourage you as we work through um, all types of mental health issues and Um, raising awareness as much as possible for everyone who is involved, either as a survivor or for those that support survivors. Um, And if you are a a returning listener, thanks so much. Always appreciate you coming back, spreading the word, and uh, interacting on the shows. It's it's always an encouragement, and uh, it's a blessing to me to be able to do this and and to... uh, have so many of you comment and listen to the shows and i appreciate it so much i just wanted to pass that along and let's jump right in i've got a special guest that i have been trying to get on on the podcast here for about a month but um technical difficulties and other schedules kept kind of getting in the way and now we're finally getting to do it so i am super stoked to introduce marnie grundman who is joining me here today and we're going to talk um about her book and her life and uh, raising awareness and her work that she does um, as an advocate for missing children. So, Marnie, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show, Matt. I am super stoked. It is definitely my honor. Um, For those that do not know about Marnie, she is an artist, a speaker, an author, and an advocate for missing children. Uh, She works to help raise awareness and educate as many as possible as to what um, these runaways and missing children are all about, what they endure and go through, and how we can help them. So let's kind of jump right into it here. Um, So you're the author of the book, Missing a True Story of a Childhood Lost. And for those that haven't read it, um, give us a little background on, on the book and maybe a little background um, about what you're about. Uh, well, as far as the, the book and what I'm about, it's both one and the same. Uh, I started running away from home at a very young age. I was actually around the age of five when I began doing it uh, without people really knowing that that's what was going on. And by the time I was 13 years old, my run lasted for three and a half years. And what created the my running was a a home that was riddled with all sorts of abuse emotional physical and sexual and so at 13 when I snapped and I ran away I then experienced what most uh, kids experience which is homelessness living on park benches um, abandoned buildings going without food um, until I finally figured out how to provide for myself and manage to find a job And then it's also about when I had my my daughter at the age of 17 and social services made me go back home and my journey to healing and recovering after after that to put me where I am today. So it kind of runs through all of it. 
Wow, okay, so at, at 13 years old, so um, let me ask this, I guess maybe like the first time that you ran away, like can you talk about like where you went or what you did, like how long you were away for the first time? Well, the younger runs weren't scary, I was, I was five and um, I had seen my father once and his office building, he wasn't a part of my life and so those runs had a purpose. I was running to find him. So I would walk towards the tall buildings in the distance, making sure I got back to my grandparents' house before dusk. Um, the the runs where uh, it was a little bit, well, it was a lot different. I guess I was around 10 or 11 when they started. I would run to a field. I would run to a friend's house. I would hide under a bed in a closet. I would run to the mall. Um, anywhere that I could go to get away from what was going on in my mother's house at that time. And to answer your question, yes, I got better at it. <laughs> each, and, each and every time you do get better at it. Um, it doesn't mean you really plan, though. You just get better at staying away longer. Um, the planning isn't actually any different because what a lot of people don't understand is that when a child runs away, from home it isn't a, a thing where for weeks and weeks things have been happening and they're making a plan and they're tucking money away it, it's usually that something happened in that moment or the night before or the day before that that made them go I've got to get out of here for my own survival in a very instinctual way um, so that's what went on before the three-year run and then the three-year run it's just so happened that once I was able to stay out a couple of nights it stuck Wow. And you know what? That's I had something uh, that I was writing down where you were talking. And it's interesting because you were talking about running away and sometimes you would run to a field or a building and then you would, you know, um, or you would make sure that you were back before, you know, darkness hit. Um, but I think typically a lot of people and I'll say probably myself included. Um, used to think that runaway meant that, you know, you, you know, as you mentioned, you, you, you planned for weeks and weeks and you packed your stuff and, you know, you just took off, maybe you left a note, maybe you didn't, but I guess it's interesting that running away isn't always just you're going away for days, weeks, months, years at a time, like you're running away for just a few hours or a day. And that can obviously lead to, you know, running further away, but it's, it's interesting how you were talking about just running um, being a runaway isn't always just packing your bags and leaving town and never coming back. Yeah, I mean, it, when I was 10, 11, 12 and those ages, my intention was not to come back. Those those were the ages where I was discovered, I would be found. And um, I, I suppose subconsciously I wanted to be found because I had nowhere to go. Um, but it, 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 it's, it's good to point out that it's not a plan and that it's not because, you know, I was told, oh, I couldn't go to the dance that day or I wasn't going to get my allowance. It's because there's a significant amount of abuse in the household that's pushing these children to the streets that makes me, that made me prefer to be on a park bench than in my own bed in my own home. So in your travels as you were, you know, each time you ran away, did you ever run into somebody? I guess what type of people did you run into either inadvertently or on purpose that would either encourage you and and support you or totally invalidate you? Well, when I there were a couple of friends' houses that I would run run to, and um, one in particular, my best girlfriend, and her her mother would try to like talk to my mother can can Marnie stay the night and try to help me out 
she didn't she didn't so much ask me what was going on i think she knew that there was something wrong and just didn't have it didn't have um the ability to do anything about it other than try to give me a, a little safe harbor for a little longer um so there weren't really any people who were saying to me i was wrong when i started when i ran and i did the three and a half year run um i i lied like i didn't tell people i ran away i told people my family was dead i i created a new name i figured out pretty quickly that if this time i was going to stay gone and not be discovered i couldn't be who i was so those are the two scenarios that really happen and then of course coming back into the home um my family was in support of my mother they weren't in support of me i was i was scapegoating myself without even realizing it because that behavior was a problem and it was it was deemed rebellious so therefore my mother wasn't the one that was being looked at as oh why is she running i was being looked at like i was a bad kid um you know so often people don't understand either because they don't want to understand or because they don't believe you or you know they think so and so can never be capable of treating a child or their family this way and you're right so oftentimes we you know as children going through some type of trauma we are scapegoated because people don't believe us i've written a lot on my blog about things like uh you know being a survivor and being invalidated and being, you know, raised in mm-hmm. a, a, as a, you know, with a caregiver who had narcissistic tendencies. And one of the worst things for a child, and I know firsthand, obviously, you know, and I know too, and probably a lot of people who are listening know, is that when you are invalidated and made to look like you're in the wrong and, you know, what you're saying could never possibly happen because so and so mm-hmm. could never do this. I mean, that just crushes you. And it makes you feel even worse. And then, and then you're questioning yourself: of Is this really happening? Am I am I justified in running away? Like I I can see so many similarities. Even though I wasn't um, a runaway, you know, in the same situation you are, I went through a lot of the same things that you did. So I just well, well, children who are in households where they're being abused are also being gaslighted. You know, um, everybody like there's stories that are being woven. Whether like for me, example for example. I fell out of it. I didn't fall out of it. I'm telling my mother's story. My mother dropped me out of a two-story window when I was around the age of five, and I broke um, both of my arms as a result. Now, my mother had me tell the story that I um, was playing on a toy box and fell out out of the window there was no toy box near the window by the way and then it kind of became like the family joke that i was trying to fly like superman or superwoman and i played along with this whole thing for most of my life even though there were a lot of other things that have happened that showed she was being abusive but they sort of brainwash you and to be accepted into the family and to be the good little girl you have to you have to toe the line and it's really unfortunate because on top of the fact that you're being abused you're also being brainwashed and made to think that you're you're crazy that you remember something that didn't really happen and it, it was a consistent theme in my family i remember my mother trying to commit suicide and she had bandages on her wrist Years later, I asked my grandmother about it. My grandmother told me it never happened. And I have another witness who verified it did. It's, it's very common. Yeah, and I mean, gaslighting, it's such a, uh, a tragic thing to go through because you've got so many people telling you that could never happen. And, and then you're mm-hmm. sitting there. And I know I was raised where I went to church every single Sunday, every Wednesday, every time the doors were open my butt was in church and you know my dad was a deacon and my mom was you know on the choir and the prayer chain and all these things and i can remember so often like in my attempts to 
try and tell my mom, you know, you're making me feel this way. I'm doing this because of the way you treat me this way. And these types of things happen. And every time I would think about telling her or telling somebody, I would be like, well, you know what? This is a church. They're they're never going to believe me. All my parents' friends are in the church. Everybody who knows me is in the church. And, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to take this down like a whole religious path, but it just it kind of struck a nerve when you were saying about how gaslighting and invalidation. And I'm thinking um, so many times with survivors um, and obviously now runaways as well as you were talking about when somebody has such a perceived reputation of being so nice and so kind and so amazing Mm -hmm. and you're trying to to, and and you're living this lie of you know they're abusing me they're treating me poorly they're doing this they're doing that and nobody will listen to you or even if they might listen to you you are scared to death to tell anybody because you don't want to be invalidated any more than you already are well and on top of that there might be repercussions when you get back behind those closed doors yes so, you know, that's that's the other part of it. And then there's also the component of, you know, when your own parents, when your own mother, in my, in my case it was my mother, is abusing you, the person who's supposed to love and protect you, if she thinks that I'm so bad that I deserve this type of treatment, I must be. And so there's never a chance in, in life to get any sort of self-esteem from anyone else because she's the front line feeding me my what my image of myself is going to be so you know it it was i i can remember one of my aunts saying well marnie's always made up stories ever since she was a little girl she was a liar they they shut you down because they don't want the truth to come out because they're afraid of looking bad in front of other people and they're they're afraid of of the effect it has on their reputation and that perfect little picture and the shame of it is is that there are children out there right now who are growing up in these situations where people don't understand that abuse happens people have mental issues people have health issues it's better to out it and to tackle it and to heal it and be a whole family there's no shame in that there's shame in letting it go on and watching a child be destroyed that's where the shame is you you are you are exactly right and i have like a million thoughts going through my head as you're talking and if we could even reach somebody even even one person by doing this yep. to you know let them know that as children if our parents would have apologized and 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 tried to make it right and helped us and validated us i mean that's all we wanted it's not that we're trying to purposefully hate our parents or you know alienate our parents from ourselves or us from our parents or try and distance ourselves like we want these people to love us because they're supposed to love us and we love them and i think a lot of times uh you know we don't always remember that kids who were abused like you were like i was like so many we still love our parents. We still want their support, yeah. but but we never get it. And so everybody staying silent and never saying anything just fuels this whole invalidation and everything that we've talked about. Like I can just, I can relate to so much of what you're saying. It's just incredible. Yeah, I mean that's absolutely. Listen, kids who have had their mother hold their hand to a, a, like a, a stove and burn their hands still want to go back to their mother. You know, we we need and want our parents' love and approval, and nothing that we do like like wanting to tell somebody and get protection isn't because we want to blow the family apart. We just want the the pain to stop. 
it's it's that simple <laughs> yeah well, you're, you're right it is and you know the family pride the family reputation mm-hmm. will you be it in the community or the church or with friends or whatever and rather than face it head on and be like hey you know what we're human we have problems let's try and fix it i was wrong for what i did let's let's work on it let's go to counseling let's do whatever we just keep brushing it under the rug and it just fuels this this lifelong problem that, that, that you went through, that, that you're trying to advocate for, that I've been through, that I write about and that so many people experience. And, you know, I just, I mean, I your book is amazing and I hope that everybody who listens to this will, will read it if they haven't already. It's just, a, it's it's a story that I think so many people can relate to in more ways than they realize. I think so often people don't always equate children who run away as being abused or actually been through some type of trauma. Oftentimes they think, well, it's just a teenager and they just want to be rebellious and run away and do their own thing. And so often, I mean, I I don't, I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but I'm going to guess more often than not, there is obviously abuse in the home and there's a reason these kids are leaving. It's not just because they want to go be a rebel. Oh, oh, absolutely. You know, you get the odd child here and there. They run away once, maybe twice. They come back, you know, it's it's because of some sort of, you know, maybe they got a bad grade that day or something like that and they come back. But but what I'm talking about are the children that, that run away habitually. I mean, I there are too many times for me to count by the time I hit 12 years old. And and that's a child screaming, screaming for help. And and the attitude in society, even now, is, oh, the, she's just looking for attention. Yes, no, I am looking for attention, but not for the reason that you're trying to paint it as being. And as long as we look at it that way, we don't heal families, we don't heal the children we don't we don't improve what's going on in the world around us you're so right and i mean it's a a stigma it's a lack of awareness it's it's so many things that people just don't want to try and embrace or deal with to realize that these children need help i can remember as a child thinking man i should just run away but where would i go what would i do and i i almost kind of scared myself into not running away because i felt well i've got a house i've got a bed i've got clothes yeah, my mom is treating me this way and that way. And yes, I'm being bullied at school. And yes, I was sexually abused as a child. But if I run away, I'm going to have even less. So I think I almost scared myself into not running away. Like, does that make any sense? Did you ever feel that way? I didn't feel that way about running away. And I think the reason is because it was my coping mechanism so early on at an age where we don't think about cause and effect. Um, If it had started later, I probably would have thought that way because I was a pretty like later on analytical kind of kid um but for me i mean there there's other things that i didn't do i ran away from home but i i promised myself i wouldn't sell my body because i knew the life that it was going to lead me into i promised myself my entire life i wouldn't do drugs as as a child as a teenager and that's the reason i think i survived the streets and i am i'm here to tell the story in the way that i'm able to tell it now um, so we all have we all have that that point where we know okay this is not going to this is I'm not going to survive this way and those were my things I, I kind of I do wish that you know it I, I wish I hadn't ran away I wish that I had been able to speak up or just or just live with the status quo for another few years and go off to college but I just couldn't I it, it was uh, it was written in stone <laughs> for lack of a better way of putting it. 
I'm listening to you and I'm, I'm thinking about as I was reading through your book and, and so many things just resonate so much. Um, like in my blog, I write a lot about anxiety, PTSD, dissociation, other types of mental health related topics, depression, all that type of stuff. Um, what types of those uh, mental health topics do you attribute to your past? You know, or, you know, things that you deal with now that maybe you've been able to overcome or still struggle with as a result of, um, you know, the abuse at home and the, and the running away and, and the stress of all of that. Well, I, without question, I went through, especially when I went through the therapy that I went through, which was um, in my mid-20s for about two and a half years, I was deeply depressed. I mean, I was on medication depressed. I wasn't going to make it. I, I scared myself with the thoughts that I was having. And at the time, um, we had five children under under the, our roof, um, I, I raised my ex-husband's two kids, so we had a blended family. And it was shortly after my um, youngest daughter was born, she was a little bit over a year old, when all of the memories um, just overpowered me to the point where I couldn't make it through a day. And so I, I went through that for a very, very long time, and it wasn't until I went through the therapy and kind of used it along with the medication to get on the other side that I became functional again and was able to go off the antidepressants. And I know some people are never able to go off of them. Um, for me, I think it was it was just um, having too much going on all the time that made it impossible for me to cope on my own. And definitely, you know, I suffer from anxiety today. I'll always have anxiety. <laughs> I have no resting brain. Um, me neither. <laughs> but, you know, like you have no resting brain. There's something. There's something to that. For me, I, I work out a lot and I do other things, and most of the time I can just keep it under control that way. And and it's 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 not just livable like I'm good, but there's times where it gets so bad that I can barely breathe. And I know that there's a lot of people that understand that. And it's interesting because I look back when I was in my teens and, and well, actually throughout my whole childhood, I think I suffered from anxiety. I used to have issues breathing, um, catching my breath. And at the time, they didn't have, you know, they didn't attribute that to something psychological. I mean, I went through chest x-rays. They looked for, you know, pulmonary stuff, asthma, the whole nine yards. But looking back now, I realized I've had anxiety my entire life. It's interesting when we're adults and when we're looking back, you know, 20, 30 years in the past and we realize things that we went through, like, wow, I really do have anxiety. I really was depressed. I can relate mm -hmm. and attribute why I was feeling this way because of the, of the you know, uh, invalidation I felt at home and the abuse at home. And I know for me, I never really realized that I had depression or that I had anxiety. I didn't know what um, dissociation was or that I had PTSD up until a few mm -hmm. years ago. I mean, I knew what PTSD was, but I didn't realize I had it up until I started going through therapy and realizing, wait a minute, I'm a survivor and I have anxiety that's more than just being worried about something that's going to happen at work. Like yeah. it's a, it, it's a deep rooted worry and uh, fear of, uh, of something that's probably never going to happen or something that happened before that might happen again. And um, you know, so that's, you know, obviously I went to therapy and that's how I kind of learned to uh, equate myself as a survivor. But what, what was your, 
main reason for seeking out therapy? Maybe was there like a breaking point or something that said, I have to go get help? Yeah, um, well, I was, <laughs> what, what, what my breaking point was, what I, I remember very clearly, I was laying in the bathtub in the dark, which is not a real normal thing to do if we're going <laughs> to use the word normal. And I was laying there and um, I don't, my mother-in-law was staying with us, so the kids were being watched by her. And I was thinking, I don't ever want to wake up. I just don't want to wake up. And I said to my ex-husband that night, I said, I, I'm suicidal. Like, I think I might actually hurt myself and I need help. And we went right into it. And I had never felt that way before. I had never been so scared before. And the fact that the only reason I wouldn't have done something to myself was because of my children wasn't a good enough reason for me. I, I knew that I was going down into a very, very dark hole. And it was because I wasn't sleeping because the dreams were coming because I, I, I couldn't stop remembering things like everything. You know, they say that, um, when you are in a very safe space in your life, the things that you've been pushing out that you don't want to deal with, that's when they come in. And that's exactly what happened to me. And uh, so I was just very fortunate to be with someone who not only had a background in psychology, but was someone that I trusted tremendously and I could go to and say, listen, and tell him the truth about how I was feeling, which for a kid like me, an adult like me, is always a struggle because when you've been abused and you've been told to be quiet, and that you're not going to be believed, it's very difficult to tell somebody that you need their help or what's, what's going on. You are exactly right. And it, um, I was thinking when you were saying about how when you feel like you're in kind of a safe place or a good place, that's when the memories start. And I know for, for me personally, I had repressed or suppressed everything for like 30 years. I pretty much just didn't think about it. I'm like, that didn't happen. And even though in the back of my head, I knew that it would happen or excuse me, that it did happen. I just kind of went about my life and I survived yeah. and I, I didn't pay any attention to it. And when I went into to seek help for a therapist after my second marriage and my second marriage ended and we talked about, you know, relationship stuff and getting divorced and trying to pick you know, the pieces back up. And I began to feel safe after some time there. That's when all these memories came back and just out of the blue one day and I, you know, in, in, in her office sitting on that uncomfortable couch. <laughs> and I yeah. remember sitting there thinking <laughs> these memories came flying back and she was like, wow. And um, so we started to explore that. And for like the next year and a half, like we dove into that. And, you know, I still work on it ever since. But when you were saying about how you were in kind of a safe place, that's when the memories start. I, I agree totally um, that when your mind feels that you are safe and with somebody who will understand and validate you it just says okay we're going to work on this and that's the end of it and you're <laughs> going to you work like on it, or it. Not. <laughs> that's exactly right <laughs> yeah whether you like it or not and for me like there were a lot of things I remembered in that I knew and then there were some things that were not shocking to me but I didn't have the tangible memories of and all of a sudden it's like you know a bunch of movies in slow motion it wasn't good <laughs> to say the least but you know we all get through we all figure it out um but ignoring it and not getting the help that we need you're never going to be happy and you're never going to be okay and it, it's our only option and whether or not you have someone around someone around you who's supporting you or not you need to support yourself and you need to believe that you're worthy enough to go and get help for yourself and and i know that's an easy thing to say but it's true you know nobody can help you more than you can 
exactly right. And that's a great way to start to kind of wrap this up is to really let people know and give them, you know, the hope and the encouragement that whether you have a whole lot of support or you've got one person or you've got nobody, you've always got at least yourself. And, mm-hmm. you know, it can be so hard as a survivor of abuse, um, as a runaway, as anybody who's been through any type of trauma to actually feel like you're worth anything or, you know, like you're worth giving a damn about yourself pretty much. And when you can actually give yourself some self-compassion, some love, give yourself Mm -hmm. a break and realize that, yeah, I went through this horrible stuff as a kid or, you know, these terrible things happened to me later in life, but it doesn't mean that I'm any less worthy of having a life that I want or getting the healing help that I need or being able to do the things that everybody else does that I want to do. And when you start to just give yourself a little bit of a break and a little bit of self-compassion and love, it just goes such a long way. And I know that's hard for me to embrace even now when I'm 40 something. Absolutely. And, and that's a common thread with all of us. So, you know, you're not alone, even if you're by yourself, right? That is exactly right. Uh, Marnie, this has been like amazing. Um, I would love to do this again because I wrote down a whole bunch of questions while you were talking (laughs) and I'm thinking, well, you know what? We could sit here for hours, but I know we have a limited amount of time. So, um, I appreciate you coming on. Um, we were talking um, here uh, with Marnie Grundman. You can find her on her website. You can find her on Twitter, Facebook, all the information. Um, her book called Missing, A True Story of a Childhood Lost is an amazing book. Uh, you can pick it up uh, via her website, uh, MarnieGrundman.com. Thank you so much, Marnie. This was just outstanding. And um, I'm honored to call you um, a fellow survivor. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for listening to Surviving My Podcast, presented by survivingmypast.net, a blog about living with dissociation, anxiety, and PTSD, and in support of all who have survived the trauma of abuse. This podcast or any resources on or sponsored by survivingmypast.net should not be considered as therapy or professional mental or medical help. Should you find yourself in crisis or in need of professional help, please seek the assistance of a licensed therapist, coach, or other mental health or physical health professional. I would also encourage you to reach out to online resources such as oneand6.org. Be sure and check out other episodes of the show, which you can subscribe to on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Acast. If you would like to be a guest on the show, just contact me anytime, matt at survivingmypast.net. Thanks again, and remember, you rock.